Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome back. This episode we are going to do another installment of Totally Legit or Calling the Cops. We have five different scenarios to go through. Charlie and Jason, back with me for this episode. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. And the other episode, uh, same format, two weeks ago. Feel free to go back and listen to those ones. We might we might do this once or twice a month going forward. But getting right into it, first scenario. Sandy Leone will be acquired by the Red Sox from the Miami Marlins by the July 31st deadline. And the reason he could be is to once again pair him up with Chris Sale. So, Jason, is that totally legit, or are you calling the cops? I'm calling the cops. Um, I, I don't understand why they would have to go out and get a catcher who's hitting 183 just to catch Chris Sale. I know that him and Sale had really good chemistry, but I, I trust Ploiecki to do the job just as well. I You know, maybe not Vasquez, but Ploiecki's fine. He's a good backup, and... They brought him back for a reason because, um, I don't know, like why, why would you give up any sort of asset at all for Sandy Leone? Unless it's like they got him for cash considerations, you know, like something that doesn't matter, fine. But anything beyond that, it, no, I, I don't see the point. Yeah, I mean, if they want to take Rios off our hands, if they want to take Haxel, uh, I'm all for it. But, I mean, realistically – Let's give Plawecki the chance. I'm not a huge fan of having, um, or, or not having, but living with the mentality of pitchers getting personal catchers. I don't think it's good. Um, and here's the thing. Chris Sale's only going to be with us for a little bit this season. Um, I, I'm going to call the cops, too. I'm going to match Jason on this one and say, right now there are, are other options that we currently have that can do the job and it's not going to have to cost us giving up anything. So I'm going to say call the cops here. Well, I'm going to break the trend and I'm going to say that it's totally legit. Um, I will say this, if a trade does happen, yeah, it's a cash considerations thing. It's, it's a, it's a situation where we just give them a scrap heap guy. I, I don't think they value, Leon too much. He is hitting 183, which is right around what he has been hitting uh, the last couple of years. But consider this, though. There's a chance that Ploiecki could catch a game or two of Chris Sale before July 31st. And if that doesn't go well, they're going to have a tough decision to make because Vasquez can't catch him. Sale's ERA is like in the upper fours with Vasquez. So I just don't think they want to get into halfway through August, sales scuffling, the chemistry isn't there, and it might not have anything to do with the chemistry. It might just be a rust thing. It might be a he can't grip the baseball thing. There's so many unknowns right now, but I think the Red Sox could uh, potentially explore that that option. So I'm a lot more closer to totally legit than I am calling the cops on that one. Uh, another thing, too, just to kind of add in here, Connor Wong is in 
AAA right now, hitting like 148, something like that. We got him in the Mookie trade, and he had 28 home runs in AA in 2019, the last full season coming into this year. And he could go on a tear, and those numbers could improve, but he looks like less of an option. You have that Ronaldo Hernandez guy that we got from the Rays when we shipped over Maza and Jeffrey Springs. He's in double A right now hitting 214, so not great there as well. So the options on the farm don't look too appetizing right now uh, to possibly pair up with Sale. And I don't know. And here's another scenario or another question, actually. Um, Vasquez can't be traded. Like, that's not a scenario either, I wouldn't think. No, I highly doubt that Christian Vasquez gets traded because, but again, like, what are you trading him for? And then who's who's taking over a catcher? Kevin Ploiecki's not an everyday catcher. Um, and I don't want to see a platoon of, like, Ploiecki and Sandy Leon. That's a black hole in your lineup. You know, like, it's one thing to have a guy who's, not great offensively towards the bottom of your order. It's another thing to have just completely nothing down there. So, yeah, I don't think Vasquez gets traded. I I think he does have value, though. I think you could get one nice piece out of it. You know, it, it might be a top 10 to 15 prospect type guy, but um, but he's so good at the play. I, I know he's been scuffling, but it still gives you quality at bats and – Vasquez did have a three-hit game uh, in the first game against Kansas City as well. So just scenarios I'm kind of kicking around in my head right now. And I I did say in the last episode that one trade would happen that we're not seeing coming. I think think the Vasquez thing is in that category. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's kind (laughs) of – it could be that left field thing that we just don't see coming. Uh, Number two. This is a fun one, and people have been kind of poking fun at this uh, for the last month or two anyway. Alex Verdugo will finish higher in the MVP voting than Mookie Betts. Jason, is that totally legit, or are you calling the cops? That is totally legit. Um, I've been harping on this for a while. I said it when he was traded. Everyone in Red Sox Nation doesn't want to believe it. Because for some reason, you people still hold on to this guy and you still worship at his feet, even though he wears a different uniform now. Mookie Betts is slowly turning into Andrew McCutcheon. Now, Andrew McCutcheon was a really good player with Pittsburgh for a long time. Uh, But look at what he is now. He's barely an everyday player. He hits around 250. Um, Mookie Betts sitting 252 right now. Only eight home runs. Uh, I think Verdugo is on pace, again, as long as, barring anything catastrophic, as long as he stays healthy, he's on pace to have a better all-around season. This is, And, you know, keep in mind, this is not me saying Verdugo is going to win the MVP. Um, someone else on this show had that prediction. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm saying that he will finish higher in the voting in the American League than Mookie Betts will in the National League. I, I think Betts is on pace to just have a really down year. I don't see him magically turning it around. It's, you know, it's June 21st. Like if he was going to turn it around, he would have started to do it by now. So yeah, totally legit. 
I agree. I think it's, I, I think it's totally legit as well. And um, the other thing about it is that we've seen uh, Verdugo be consistent for pretty much the whole season as far as like offense and whatnot. Whereas Mookie Betts is starting to be really, really streaky. Um, we're also paying him a fraction, a small fraction of what Mookie Betts is getting this year. Andrew McCutcheon 2.0. Yeah, sure. I dig that. It's just, it's not happening. I mean, Verdugo is having a better year. It'd be unfair to discount that. So yeah, totally legit that he could do that. Carry on. I can't disagree with you guys. I think that's totally legit. Um, I think it's plausible that Alex Verdugo could have an even better second half than what he's having right now in the first half. And I kind of thought Mookie Betts would turn it around once Cody Bellinger came back. But uh, I think Bellinger might be back on the injured list. I could be wrong. He is on the injured list. Okay. And so I just think that kind of that kind of hurts Mookie a little bit. I don't know that Mookie's the type of guy who's going to carry the team when the pressure is on. I think if there's a lot going on with the roster, I you know, Mookie's going to be having his own issues. He couldn't hit in the 3 hole at Fenway Park. He couldn't do it. It was too much pressure for him. He had to go back to lead off. And granted, he did win an MVP uh, leading off, but but he's finicky. And I love the Andrew McCutcheon comp because <laughs> that's totally plausible. They they have very similar makeups, and I've all I've kind of questioned what Mookie would be. You know, by the time age thirty three, age thirty four comes around as well. I mean, Jacoby Ellsbury, his entire his entire makeup was predicated on speed. What happened when he lost that? He just he was a below average player that the Yankees basically put in what I like to call the witness protection program. Just got rid of him, stuck him somewhere, and uh, and that's that. So, give me Verdugo, and if we both get into the playoffs, I'm, I'm going to take it a step further. I think Verdugo is going to be a beast. I don't know about Mookie. So Mookie's never been a, a playoff performer. Nope. So. He can't handle nope. the pressure. It just goes back to what I was saying. So very good. Uh let's go. This this could be the funnest one of the whole show. I think the audience is gonna enjoy this one. Pablo Sandoval was a bigger disappointment, and I don't mean physically, but that could be relevant. Pablo Sandoval was a bigger disappointment than Carl Crawford. Jason, totally legit, or calling the cops? I am going to steal this one okay. from Jason and say this is so absolute bleeping lootly legit. Pablo Sandoval mugged, mugged the Red Sox for $95 million. Why, do you ask? Two years 161 games played. We're not even going to go averages here and say five years. 160 divided by five, distasteful. But say we're averaging it out for the two years that he was here making 15 plus. Actually, no, excuse me. It was 19 million a year. Uh, 65, almost 
it was 68 hits per season, 26 and a half runs, 13 and a half doubles, half a triple, seven homers, 29 RBIs for 19 million. Oh yeah, he hit 230, uh, he hit 237, averaged 17 walks and 50 strikeouts. The only reason why this hurt more than Carl Crawford is because Carl Crawford after year two got shipped out to LA. So we paid half as much as we did for Pablo Sandoval because the Dodgers end up sucking at most of this one. Pablo Sandoval embarrassed the sport of baseball when he took a hack in Toronto and his belt burst, not broke, burst. It shattered at the dish. Four at-bats, three strikeouts, went on the DL at the time. I believe that's what we called it then. And then that was it. Like, he just was never the same again. And I remember thinking, good Lord, Pablo Sandoval, damn it. We signed Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez when we could have gotten, um, oh, yeah, Max Effing Scherzer. So he busted twice, not just the belt, not just the fact that he absolutely effingly sucked, but because we blew it when we could have gotten someone of value. Carl Crawford flamed out, couldn't handle the pressure. It is what it is. But Pablo flat out robbed Boston of almost $100 million. Jason? I'm calling the cops. Um, I think Carl Crawford was the bigger bust. The only reason that we don't view him as the bigger bust is because the Dodgers were kind enough and stupid enough to take his contract off our hands. And so we weren't griping and bitching about having to pay his salary years later. Carl Crawford, in when he was with Tampa, averaged 45 stolen bases a year, and he hit 300 every single year. Now, he wasn't a power guy. We knew that. But he was in extra base hits. He was basically like Whit Merrifield when he was in Tampa. And then he got to Boston, and he didn't do any of that. He didn't steal bases. He, you know, I think his first year, he had, what, like barely 30 doubles. Um, he hit 255. And he couldn't stay healthy. And it was almost like he just completely, he became a different player. He didn't want to run anymore. He didn't, you know, he he just, he looked old as soon as he got here. And this was a guy who, again, like was on pace to, you know, he was on pace to maybe chase Ricky Henderson for career stolen bases. I mean, that's how good he was. And the other thing too, is when he got traded to LA, he actually had some pretty productive seasons for the Dodgers. He played over 100 games in his first two years there, and he hit 283 and 300, respectively. And he went back to, you know, 30 doubles, stealing bases. You know, was he an all-star guy? Was he an MVP candidate? No, but he was a good, productive player for them. And it's more so that he was, like, a phenomenal player in Tampa. Pablo Sandoval was kind of just a guy. He was a good player in San Francisco, but he got inflated by what he did in the playoffs. His, his value got inflated by what he did in the playoffs for the Giants. Regular season, he was decent, but he was, you know, that's all. He was average. Carl Crawford was a superstar in the regular season. And so we thought we were getting that kind of guy. We thought we were getting, you know, the 2011 version of what Whit Merrifield is now. And he didn't do any of that. And again, he gets a break in Boston because we won the year after we traded him. And we didn't have to absorb the money. 
the Dodgers basically took all the money. So I think Carl Crawford was the bigger bust. Carl Crawford got paid because of what he did in 2010, the year before he came to Boston, when he had almost 20 home runs, he had 90 RBIs, he had over 300, had 47 stolen bases. That is why he got the contract he did. Because the year before that and the year before that, didn't really do too much. Just wasn't wasn't the guy. And then he comes to Boston, too much pressure. It is what it is. Pablo Sandoval, you hit it right on the head. He got overpaid because of what he was able to do in the playoffs. Problem is, you need to get there first. You need to get to the playoffs before you 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 know you tip your cap and you know you start paying the piper here, saying you got a stud here. It just doesn't work. If you can't get to the playoffs, there's no point to getting a guy who's good in the playoffs because you need 162 games of getting good or being good in order to be good during the playoffs. And Pablo busted that hard. I will never forget that moment where his belt just exploded in Toronto. I was so embarrassed. You can't you can't really have a a wrong answer here, but I'm going to side with Jason here and I'm going to call the cops as well. <laughs> um the the big difference between the two is we had a front row seat to Carl Crawford. Carl Crawford made our lives hell. He he was a great defender in the outfield. He was a center fielder for Tampa. He was hell on the base pass. Regularly stole 30 plus and I, I guess what 47 the season before he came to Boston. And he was he was above average across the board regardless. And to not be playing against him anymore and that he was going to be on our team. He was going to be our weapon against everyone else. I was so excited about that. And it was a colossal disappointment. He we got one season out of him and then he had to have Tommy John or whatever halfway through the second season. And then the Dodgers uh, took him off of us in the, in the Crawford dump. But as far as Sandoval goes, if I'm being completely honest, I didn't hate that signing the day it happened. I thought, well, yeah, all right. We got a, we got a 28 year old third baseman who just hit 429 in the world series. He came to Boston as a defending World Series champ hit 429 in that World Series with an OPS just literally two ticks above a thousand. If that's not impressive, he hit exactly 500 in the 2012 World Series with an OPS over 1100, and he was the World Series MVP in 2012. It was hard to foresee that he was going to fall off a cliff before the ink got dry on that contract. Cause that's what happened. We got nothing from Pablo, but it was a smaller investment. It was a little under a hundred. We were paying Crawford North of 140. And I was just, I was so excited for Carl Crawford. I remember the night it got signed. I remember the night it got signed and watching ESPN. I was so excited about that. And, um, unfortunately it was a bust. It ended up being not as painful, like you guys said, because we were able to get rid of him so fast, but, uh, yeah. And in the end though, he did end up being the bigger douchebag cause he had a domestic, uh, against his wife. I don't know if you guys caught that. Uh, I think it happened last year or the year before. So he was already retired. Um, yeah. Pablo, uh, at least he doesn't beat his wife or girlfriend, whatever. 
Um, but I got to go with Crawford as the biggest disappointment. Do you want to weigh in one more time, Charlie? <laughs> no, okay. No, I mean, I, I think that's that's fair. I mean, I, of the points so far, this has been the probably my favorite one out of the three. Like, I'll just yeah. uh, sending you both a message and saying, you know what? I'm okay taking the L on this one because I still <laughs> would have probably rather seen Carl Crawford than Pablo Sandoval. Pablo it's... Sandoval infuriated me the way that Matt Hall's name does. <laughs> it's up there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy looking at Carl Crawford's numbers because when he came to Boston, it's not, I don't think it's hyperbole to say he was on pace for like a potential hall of fame career. I mean, when, when we signed him, he had 1500 hits over a hundred homers and he had 400 stolen bases. If he had stayed on that kind of pace for another eight years, like he did the first eight in Tampa, you're looking at a guy who's closing in on potentially 3000 hits and, who knows what the stolen bases would have been if he had stayed healthy and stayed productive. But he was really good when he got here, and he just completely fell off. Maybe next season we will say Mookie Betts flamed out like Carl Crawford. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Crawford didn't win the MVP before the contract, so that won't be that valid. But we could we, we could throw it out there. Uh, yeah. and And the other thing, too, about Pablo – that deal took him through his age 33 season. What could go wrong? <laughs> Everything apparently, but, um, but yeah, man, that was, that was so bad too. But here's another one, another historical one. Uh, probably won't spend quite as much time on this one, but uh, I've got some thoughts on it. So David Price was the bigger Red Sox douchebag than Josh Beckett. Jason, you calling the cops or totally legit? Oh, that's totally legit. David Price <laughs> was 100% a bigger douchebag than Josh Beckett. Josh Beckett was a dick. Don't get me wrong. That that guy was, he had an attitude about him. But you know what? He cared about winning. Josh Beckett cared about winning and he had balls and he went out there and pitched great in the postseason, like was a gamer, you know. Did, was he a dick to the media? Yeah. Did he? Was he a dick to the fans at the end? Yep. But that guy wanted to win, and he wasn't a you know he wasn't a prima donna. He wasn't you know uh, shoving or you know causing altercations with team broadcasters on flights or anything like that. And you know what? He was a dick, but he kind of owned up to it. Like he kind of just owned being that you know that douchebag kind of like yeah, I don't care about the media. I'm just going to go out there and pitch. Like David Price desperately wants people to like him. He so badly wants everyone to love him. But it's it's impossible because he's such a douchebag and he just doesn't get that. So at least Beckett owns that he's a douchebag. David Price thinks that he's like a saint and he thinks that he's like the nicest guy on the planet. And, well, look at me. I bought shoes for all my teammates. Why don't you guys love me? It's like, no, we don't love you because you suck and you don't pitch in, well in the playoffs. And you're just you're, you're a Twitter bitch and, and all this other stuff. Like at least Beckett owned it and he played well and he won. So. Yeah, that's totally legit. Price was absolutely the bigger douchebag. Yeah, I'm going to agree with this one too. Um, Price, I remember his moments where his 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 douche airiness like would come out like during the World Series and post game conference. Like, oh yeah, you know, you guys have been on me for a long time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on this one. I'm gonna let it let it fester or whatever he used for the word. Like, I'm gonna enjoy this moment. And you guys can all shut up because I'm gonna have the last word here. Josh Beckett, like I remember his like 
airiness or like cockiness, whatever. I remember his ex-girlfriend ended up singing the national anthem at Fenway Park. And I'm not sure if it was John Farrell or the pitching coach that stared at him. And they're like, oh, wait, she's dating. Wasn't she dating a famous Red Sox pitcher? And then he turns to either John Farrell or the coach and goes, just so you know, I broke up with her. Like he'd say shit <laughs> like that. And it was just like, okay, Josh, like we get it. The thing that drove me nuts about Beckett was that he'd have one good season, one bad season, one good season, one bad season. That to me was frustrating. But let's be honest, postseason Josh Beckett, terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, and he he did we've had some good postseason pitchers over the years, you know, John Lester, Kurt Schilling. John Lackey only pitched in one because he was out for a while and we had the beer and chicken year that one year, but was a career very good postseason pitcher, and then we did see it in 2013, and, and Beckett kind of falls in with that. So to me, if any if any listener has been listening to this show for more than a couple of years, you already know I think it's totally legit that David Price is the bigger douchebag. I hate that guy. The thing about Price to me was he was just so cowardly. The Fortnite thing happened because he was going to have to make a start in New York, and the Yankees just owned him every time, and he didn't want to pitch in New York. The Fortnite thing happened. And then, ironically, his next Yankees start was the Sunday night game in New York. And I don't think he quite got out of the second inning. He put up like an eight spot and got buried right away. Um, the the charter thing with, with Eckersley, they were flying, I think, out of Milwaukee. It was an interleague series. I could be wrong. I might have the cities mixed up. But they were flying from one road stadium to another road stadium and it was so predictable to me that he was going to go on the disabled list before they got back to to Boston to face the music from the fans and that's exactly what happened you know just very cowardly and he always had this like self-righteous tone to his voice that just oh it just I hated it and uh so glad he's not here. He's still uh, pitching out of the Dodgers bullpen right now, very sparingly by the looks of it as well. So I'll gladly pay $16 million to to not uh, have him. That's uh, that's a you know 16 well spent. So I don't miss him. I love Josh Beckett. One of my favorite Josh Beckett moments before we move on, he threw that ball at Bobby Abreu's head. I guess there was some shenanigans going on, and he was with the Angels at that point. And they asked Beckett, they're like, did you do that on purpose? And he gave the standard no. And he goes, what was I supposed to do? Go give him a hug? <laughs> I'm like, I, I like this guy. you know. And when he was on TMZ a couple years ago, because he tackled the league lead singer of a band in a Texas club or whatever. <laughs> I thought that's funny. I guess the guy like messed his shoulder up pretty bad, but <laughs> like it's just like the the Josh Beckett ultimate Josh Beckett move too, but yeah, I don't know. I I was a big Beckett fan and uh, I, he he left at the right time. I, I wasn't sad that he got traded. I thought that he had his run, but uh still uh, all right, so where are we at? So final one. This is kind of an MLB-wide one, but it could have Red Sox you know, implications in terms of a playoff race. 
Trevor Story will be acquired by either the Tampa Bay Rays or the Oakland A's by the July 31st deadline. Jason, is that totally legit, or are you calling the cops? I think it's totally legit, and I think it'll be the Oakland A's that acquire him. Um, Before the Tyler Glasnow injury, I would have said Tampa because I would have said Tampa will continue to make a run. Um, They have a lot of young pitching, a lot of young prospects. Um, I also saw today they are calling up um, Wander Franco, so they're they're ready. You know, they traded Willie Adamas at the start of the year. So, they, you know, a lot of people believe that they were paving the way for Franco. I sort of thought they're either doing that or they're paving the way for Trevor Story. Um, but I think that with the Glasnow injury and with, um, you know, maybe some of their other pitchers might struggle now because of what's going on. They just called up Franco. I don't think they're going to give up a big package to trade for Trevor Story. I think the Oakland A's who have the corpse of Elvis Andrews playing shortstop right now, who have a very legit chance to win their division. Um, I think they make the move to go get them. And they've got, you know, they've got pieces they can give up. They've got, you know, AJ Puck's a young pitcher that I think a lot of teams would like. Colorado's going to want pitching back for sure because they need it desperately over there. Um, but I think the A's have the package to put together to go get them. It, you know, it makes sense because he can slide right in at shortstop. You know, maybe you, move Andrews somewhere else or you move him even to the bench. I don't care what they do there. Um, but the A's need firepower. I think they've got the pitching. I think they've got the bullpen. They need firepower in that offense. They can't just rely on Chapman and Olsen to do everything. So I think they also probably regret letting Marcus Simeon go. Um, so I think they're looking for that that pop from shortstop, and I think they go get him. I think it's only the A's, and it's it's absolutely legit that the Athletics would get them. has nothing to do with what the Tampa Bay Rays have calling up, what they've traded. Tampa Bay just is not going to be spending money. They just aren't going to do it. And getting Trevor Story for uh, not that long amount of time, they're not going to want to part ways with any of their, their future toys. They're just not going to. Oakland A's have one of the best teams in baseball. I'm not going to say American League, in baseball. They are very, very good. Very good. And adding Trevor Story to that lineup is only going to make them even more potent. Um, I don't think it's just going to be Story that they add either. I think they'll add another pitching arm, maybe two. Because Oakland, if they do add Trevor Story and at least one pitcher, this has all the makings of a disgustingly good team. Something that can rival uh, rival, um, Houston. So we'll see. I think it's totally legit as well. I mean, the the Rockies have had a bad couple of years in terms of decision-making. They've got to get something of value for a guy like Story, who's not going to be re-signing with them. So he will get moved. Oakland makes a lot of sense, and we've seen Billy Bean make moves at the deadline before that were somewhat impactful. I will say this about the Rays. I do think it's a long shot, but they're going to have plenty of time to look at Franco to decide, okay, are we going to make a run with this guy? Or perhaps maybe he's not ready yet and we do need a Trevor Story. Again, I think it's a long shot, but it'll still be an option for them uh, as we get closer to the deadline. I think the Rays absolutely have to look at pitching at this point because – 
good chance glass now could be done for the year could have tommy john surgery at some point he does have a partially torn ucl sometimes you can do that with the the platelet injections and maybe that'll be an option but who knows um we discussed in the last show and actually by the time the audience uh listens to this the rich hill start will have happened if that ends up being a dud uh, on Rich Hill's part because he can't throw curveballs because nobody can throw curveballs right now. If the Rays make any moves, it's, it's going to be for pitching. It probably won't be for a stud shortstop. So I, I think they'll probably go that route. But they do crank out pitchers like like anyone. I mean, when a double-A pitcher ends up facing the Red Sox, it's almost an automatic loss for us because we've never seen them. And, you know, we sleepwalk our way into it. So... Um, yep, totally legit on story. I, I'd love to see him in the month of October. They did have one brief run, uh, let's see, 2018. Um, they got into the uh, NLDS and, and lost to the Brewers. But um, but we'll see. He's uh, he's an exciting player, and, and he can mash. And I'll take him over. I know Carlos Correa having a great season. Give me Trevor Story all day long. That will do it for calling the Total Legit or calling the cops. Probably do another one in two weeks if you haven't heard our um, episode 24 hours ago. Check that out. A lot of tough talk regarding the Red Sox and uh, some players that need to step up and talk some Xander Bogart's uh, extension scenarios as well. That was pretty interesting. So give that a listen if you haven't already. And we will be back Thursday night to discuss the Tampa Bay Race Series. Andrew and Joe will be with me for that episode. Everybody take care.